Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, since we last recorded, when we made fun of the Mariners for not calling up Jared Kelenic and him hitting two home runs in his first minor league baseball game, the Mariners have both called up Jared Kelenic and announced that they are calling up their top pitching prospect, Logan Gilbert. Two questions. Are the Mariners becoming labor legends? Right before our very eyes. Number one. And number two, where should we turn our focus to next? You know, we're wielding this power. The Mariners clearly called up Jared Kelenic because of us. Yeah, I, you know, my response to that is just that bullying works. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's actually time-tested, very effective. And frankly, we should do more of it towards you know, billion dollar franchises, not your not your next door neighbor who's a little loud. Although, you know what, depending on the context, I probably endorse that as well. Indeed. What time is it? You know, give me give me a little more context. What time is my next door neighbor being loud? <laughs> jokes on jokes on the listeners, I'm the loud next door neighbor. So bully me if you need to. We actually record this podcast at four in the morning and you yell at the top of your lungs. I just turned That's the correct. volume way down. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we don't want to hear your takes about Ricky Henderson anymore, Alex. Uh, no, we, you know, this is a little mini episode. We're coming back a little early this week. We were debating between, you know, waiting a full 10 days and putting a pot out because I'm traveling this weekend and unable to record. But we decided to come back a little early because we have a lot of news-ish stuff to talk about between the A's and the Astros. And then we'll do a couple voicemails to wrap up the show. Um, before we get into all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. It feels weird to talk to you on a Wednesday, you know? Like, for the most part, I just, we record on Sunday, then I just, we don't talk at all because we hate each other throughout the rest of the week, but we're keeping the facade up for the sake of the podcast. The next Sunday rolls around and it's just like, I gotta talk to this guy again. I was going to go the opposite direction and say we don't even need to talk because we just kind of telegraph our our oh, thoughts yeah. with each other. We can just go and read the last few uh, tweets from our timeline that the other person has sent, you know, and just kind of see uh, where their headspace is at. And that's yeah, we're usually like talking, enough. We're talking next to each other, which is what people do on podcasts anyway. They don't actually have real conversations. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine if I started this podcast out every week with like formalities of being like, how are you? How was your week? What'd you do today? I, that would that wouldn't go very far. My memory is shot. Uh, how's my week? Uh, uh, my week goes back as far as like lunchtime today. That's how my that's how my week's going. Uh, well, my, I didn't have lunchtime today, so we'll see how the rest of this podcast goes as I get hungrier and hungrier throughout. No, we are going to talk to Alex Coffey, A's beat reporter for the Athletic, uh, about all of this news about the potential of the A's relocating, leaving Oakland. Um, before we do. There was some news that came across today about the Houston Astros being the first of all 30 Major League Baseball teams to prov- provide furnished apartments for their minor leaguers. Uh, Alex, what, what was your reaction when you saw this? We haven't talked about this yet. 
my reaction was, wow, I can't believe I'm about to simp for a landlord. Uh, incredible heel turn from the Astros. Uh, my, my second thought was, do the players have to provide their own trash cans or will that come with the, uh, come with the apartment? Ooh, you're like basic reply guy. Yeah, exactly. To the you know, had to get like, like a nice, nice little dig in. Okay, in all seriousness, though, this is obviously huge for it's Astros. It's good. <laughs> this is huge, it's huge for Astros minor leaguers. This is going to materially change their lives. I mean, my immediate reaction was like, cool, where was this five years ago? This is not like a new thing that minor leaguers need some more support from their organizations. Um, and it's been sort of confounding to me how long it's taken for organizations to realize that there is both a competitive advantage but also a moral obligation to provide a little bit more for the people who are going to be dictating the success of your franchise in the next five years um i'm sort of interested to see how this positions the rest of the league and whether they will respond accordingly and do a similar thing for their minor leaguers because at this point like one team just made their minor league system much more appealing than all other 29 teams by offering this bare human necessity of housing, um, given that they don't actually pay them enough money to afford their own good housing. Yeah, there, as you mentioned, there's an obvious um, developmental advantage here because you want your players to... I be in the best environment that allows them to succeed. And there's also the the moral imperative, right? That it's like, we're already paying these guys poverty wages. The least we can do is make sure they have a bed to sleep on. I am, I'm curious kind of as more details come out about this, the, the, what the arrangements look like, how much I'm, I, you know, I'm curious how much this costs a team like the Astros, right? Um, I cannot imagine it is in, absurd amount um but this is certainly the right response given you know given our conversation i think last week where we you know more than baseball confirmed that host families would be disallowed um there are limits on how many players can be living together in the first place i it's Unfortunate that it took, you know, a, the the incredible restrictions imposed by, uh, you know, a global pandemic that teams started realizing, hey, maybe there are other ways for us to help our players. But I'm really curious to see kind of how much this extends, you know, because if this becomes the norm, it's huge. It's huge for baseball. It's huge for minor leaguers. It's, I mean, it's not an actual salary, but it's, uh, you know, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. It's a sense of relief, um, which, you know, in repeatedly in our conversations with people who have lived this experience, um, that's what they say. Like the pressure that comes along with being in the minor leagues and being required to perform at such a high level in order to advance your career while also having to worry about the very real life complications of finding housing finding an apartment in a new city that you get dropped off into population 2000 that you've never been to in your life before and you're 18 19 20 like this is relief and this is i don't want to minimize that i also don't want to minimize the role that places like advocates for minor leaguers and what you mentioned more than baseball had in organizing something like this you know minor leaguers do not have a union not a news flash here on tipping pitches so 
any element of external pressure that comes in the form of de facto organizing, basically, which is what more than baseball are kind of doing. They're organizing and putting pressure or having open conversations with franchises about how they can make the lives of minor leaguers better. Um, That is real positive, tangible effect on the game of baseball and the climate of baseball in this country. So, you know, as always, support more than baseball and just kind of follow along on their role in getting stuff like this done. Um, And not stopping here. Like, this is great, but also like, it's not just about finding an apartment for the guy who's going to become the next Jose Altuve. It's about like properly compensating for the value of his labor, you know? Right. I mean, I, the, like this is, this looks really great and it is really great when you compare it to the usual living conditions of minor leaguers, what they're kind of subjected to, right? Nonstop travel, constant relocation, poor wages, et cetera. But when you zoom out and say, okay, they're still getting paid sub-minimum wage, they'll be provided some you know, level of standard housing by their employer, it's, it still becomes very clear how much more needs to be done, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I, I, you know, Bradford William Davis made the joke about feudalism, right? And feudalize the miners, baby. And like he, you know, it's a bit tongue in cheek, but also not wrong, right? <laughs> that's, that's the Houston Astros are not the first place. The, the Houston Astros are not the first company to think of a company town. You exactly. know, like there there are real financial benefits to them saying our work here is done, and we're just trying to be the people who are like, no, your work here isn't even close to done, uh, and maybe we'll have to force you to do a little more work by unionizing the minor leagues. Facts. Okay, let's talk about the A's. Uh, I don't even know how to begin to describe this story. So it came out on Tuesday. Jeff Passan wrote a piece in ESPN saying that the A's are starting to seriously explore the option of leaving Oakland and playing in what is most likely a different city, namely Las Vegas. Um, You and I have been discussing the saga of the Oakland Athletics and their new stadium since I don't know, episode three of this podcast. We're on we're we're nearing in on episode two hundred of this podcast, which we'll get to this year. We've been doing it for four years and we're still talking about the same shit with the Oakland Athletics. We've been doing this podcast since they were exploring a different ball, ballpark proposal, right? And like, since that fell through and they then exactly. decided to point, you know, spin around, put a blindfold on, spin around and point at a map and say, here's where we now want to put our new stadium. So I don't know how much detail it's worth getting into. The A's don't think it's sustainable to continue to play baseball at the Oakland Coliseum for a myriad of reasons. Not only do they not think it's sustainable, Bobby, the future success of the A's depends on a new ballpark. The future success. What about the current success? How about that? Guaranteed World Series first year. (laughs) Yeah, are you going to run a higher payroll if you're not playing at Oakland and the Alameda Coliseum anymore? So... Not only do they not think it's tenable to play there, they're refusing to play there um, for whatever reasons that they state, whether that's because people don't want to come see games there, whether that's because the facilities are not up to date, whether that's because the lease is coming up in 2024. It doesn't matter. They're just not going to play there anymore. And they need to find a new location. Now, they've had like forever to think about their next location. 
As soon as they moved into the Coliseum, they could have been thinking, where do we want to build a stadium next? That's how most of these organizations operate. And it seems like the A's never really fully explored any of those options to the point where they were putting the wheels in motion until now, where they are exploring the option of building a new stadium at Howard Terminal, which is in downtown Oakland, and needs a lot of work to become the site of a Major League Baseball stadium. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, The A's proposal for the Howard Terminal Baseball Stadium was for $12 billion, a $12 billion project, which would make it the most expensive building in the Bay Area in Northern California by a matter of two times, you know, twice as expensive as anything else that has ever been built there. So it's a big undertaking, which means there's a lot of pressure because there's a lot of money at stake. And where the tension comes in here that I want to talk to you about is how much of that money is going to come from taxpayers? Because in California, you're not really allowed to use taxpayer money to fund stadiums directly. However, there is sort of a gray area where you're allowed to use taxpayer money to fund the infrastructure that's being built around the stadium itself. And that's where the Passon article comes into place because it doesn't seem like the city council is too psyched about voting yes on this current proposition, which you brought up in your three up, three down a few weeks ago. So all that being said, all that mess being woven, can you kind of untangle, Alex, where you're at as an A's fan, as an Oakland native, as an East Oakland boy with a 510 area code starting your phone number? How are you feeling? And um, who are you most mad at? Those are the two questions I'll ask you. <laughs> uh, I'm most mad at myself for being an Ace fan. There you go. As um, per usual. <laughs> right, naturally. I, You know, the thing is, like, I don't know how I feel anymore, right? Because I need a degree in economics to really understand the proposal that's being put forth and what these holdups are right so i'm when no come- developer but our new segment exactly 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 i the the kind of central tenet of this project is this this pair of infrastructure financing districts right which basically say that the a's are going to front the money to build the they're, they're obviously they're going to build a stadium they're going to front the money to um do all the the environmental cleanup that's necessary there, build out the infrastructure around the stadium. Like, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit with, with Alex in a few minutes, but, and then their, their assumption is basically that this development, this massive development that, you know, includes retail space and office space and housing, et cetera, will raise property value of the entire area. And so that excess that you'll be getting in property value taxes, in property taxes, will then go back in. And that's how the city is eventually paying the team back for these these infrastructure developments. As you're saying this, an econ degree is assembling itself out of thin air behind you. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. You're crushing it right now. I, between this and the sales tax research for the t-shirts. Professor I, Alex is fucking here, guys. I don't know, man. I mean, Andrew Yang's running for New York City mayor, right? We That's, could be charging charging $6,000 a class for this. Exactly. We're going to start creating some infrastructure financing districts for uh, for this podcast. For you the know, Patreon. What is That's the, what you get for the Patreon. Exactly. Yeah. 
Alex, is, but look, Alex teaches you about how to uh, revitalize a downtown. <laughs> right. And that is, that's the kind of unspoken part about all of this is, you know, it's nothing to say of all of the intangible economic and cultural impact, right? Of like, you know, does this turn Oakland into, or turn downtown Oakland into like San Francisco East, right? Like, and invite in plenty of new uh, money and development and, you know, the the yuppies that come along with them, right? I mean, I sound like an absolute boomer right now. Blue bottle coffees. (laughs) So that's that's almost not even being talked about in this process because you, I mean, frankly, you can't put a number on that. You can't say... X. It hasn't stopped real estate developers and baseball owners from trying. That's for sure. Just God, see know. rickets, but yeah. <laughs> well, and and like that's what they want to do, right? Is build the equivalent of kind of a um, Wrigleyville yeah. on the on the Oakland waterfront, Howardville. It's Howard Howardville. Yes, exactly. Fisherville. I don't know why we're giving away these ideas for free. We could be charging a thousand dollars an hour for these consultations. Yeah, I think where I net out on all of this is I'm tired, like of trying to parse all this stuff out. Yeah, I'm not getting paid the big bucks from either the city council or from the Oakland Athletics to be figuring all this shit out. As a matter of fact, you're part of paying for those things. Exactly. <laughs> I'm watching be- the A's every week and, you know, going to A's games. And not that you're doing that right now from Brooklyn in a pandemic. But no, you're right. And that's a really good point to kind of spin all the way back to is that the fans in all of this are getting screwed either way because they either have to live with the hand wringing that comes with $450 million of taxpayer money going towards the stadium revitalization. Um, whether that money goes into the steel beams that actually build the stands or not, that's still $450 million that are being charged to taxpayers because the Oakland athletics are getting a new stadium. It doesn't matter like whether that paid for mowing the grass and bringing in the sod. Like that money would not have been spent on that if not for the Oakland Athletics. So they're either going to have to deal with that hand wringing for the next, you know, probably the better part of the next two decades because it'll take five to eight years at least to build this stadium, and then it'll be the new stadium for about ten years. It'll be the new stadium in downtown Oakland for about ten years, and it'll feel that way before people start to forget. Unless they pull an Atlanta Braves and just build a new stadium three years later in um, a suburb of Oakland, which would be a total disaster. Um, They're getting screwed on that side, and then obviously if the team leaves, they're getting screwed. So that's where I want to go to next with this. They cannot leave Oakland. And it certainly (laughs) seems like they're gonna leave Oakland. Like, if I had to ballpark it right now, I'm like 80-20, they're out. Mm -hmm. And that's fucked up. All because of finance. All because whoever you want to land the blame on, whether it was the A's overselling how much it should cost to build this and then therefore derivative of that charging too much of the taxpayers, whether it's because the Warriors already got out a year earlier and the Raiders got out two years earlier and that makes it a politically toxic conversation to have about whether the A's need to stay or need to leave, whether it's on John Fisher for not taking the initiative to rebuild the Coliseum into a place that could have been a more state of the art place for the A's to play and operate out of. 
it doesn't even matter who you think is to blame for. At the end of the day, all parties involved here are screwing the fans collectively. And it's like everybody versus the actual citizens of Oakland who just want to chill and watch their team at a stadium that's nice and affordable to go to. Which yeah. it's not even guaranteed that Howard Terminal would be affordable to go to. It could very easily just become, you know, Wrigleyville West. And the last part of that is that it seems like Rob Manford is ready to come in and swing his power around however needs to get done to make this the most financially viable for the Oakland Athletics and therefore for John Fisher, the A's owner. Like he's like, I'll come in and I'll pressure the city council to give you guys a sweetheart deal in Oakland. Or I'll come in and I'll pressure the city council to vote no so you guys can go to Las Vegas. I'm ready either way. He's like, let's just get this done. And this has been very revealing to me about what Rob Manford actually does on a day-to-day basis. The fact that, you know, we're going to talk to Alex Coffey in a second, but in her piece, she sort of delineates what Manfred's offer has been to John Fisher in the athletics, where he's like, I'm ready. Just give me the call. I'll pressure the local city council of Oakland. I'm like, dude, what is Major League Baseball and why are we doing any of this? If not just like a gigantic lobbying arm on behalf of 30 billionaires. I mean, that's literally the purpose of Major League Baseball at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is... Forget growing the game. I mean, forget it. Like, it's not... This is what Rob Manfred occupies his time with. I. This is not... We're not talking about a proposal for a new ballpark, honestly. We're talking about just a your run-of-the-mill real estate development, right? It's Yeah, and all of the hands it, that need to be shaken along the way. Exactly. And, and that's... I mean, frankly, what this comes down to, um, it is not really about keeping the A's in Oakland, which like, if you've been following this saga at all, you know that that's something that John Fisher, frankly, doesn't really care about. <laughs> like the the dude's been at the helm of this team for for years now and behind the scenes for even longer. And the investment and the commitment just hasn't been there. So... You know, you're either looking to make the biggest bang on your buck in Oakland that you can, or you you get the hell out. And that's why I think you really have to take their statements with the with like the the smallest grain of salt that you possibly can. Right? John Fisher says, "Yeah, Oakland's a great baseball town." What the hell does that mean from John Fisher? Right? That he sees that he's got little dollar signs shining in his eyes if he builds the right ballpark. That's all it is. Is he sitting in the stands out there like, wow, I love it when these fans cheer, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. know. It all sucks. It just makes me think about all of the factors that that have led us to this point where like Major League Baseball is lobbying local city councils. And I'm like, what are we doing all this for? This is a kid's game, you know? Like, what would it look like if you stripped all of this stuff away and it didn't become a $12 billion real estate industry for each local city I think back to, I don't even know what we were talking about, but I remember saying, if it costs you money to revitalize an area to put a stadium there, that's just the price you pay for being in a city. That's the price that you have to pay for getting access to this consumer base. If you truly think, here's where the uh, contradiction from John Fisher comes in. If you truly think that Oakland is a great baseball city, because like I haven't seen evidence that Las Vegas is a great baseball city. Maybe people will go there. Maybe they won't. I have no idea. But if you truly think that Oakland is the city that the athletics should be in, which obviously you and I do, Alex, not only because you're an Ace fan, but because of like 
the long and storied history since 1968 of the Athletics being there and doing great things there, and the laundry list of players who, if we could get them to come on this podcast right now in a dream world, would tell you, I loved my time in Oakland more than anything. You know, think about the way that Sean Doolittle and Aaron Dolan still talk about their time in Oakland. They're like three teams removed from that by now. So back to John Fisher. If you really think that this is your city, then you pay the premium. You pay the $450 million to revitalize that area to get access to those people that you think are so fucking great. Because like, at the end of the day, that's the, way we, that's the way we've situated it, right? That's the, that's the deal that we have in capitalism in America. If you want to do big business and you want to own like entire areas of a city and call it your own and develop it however you want, shouldn't you have to pony up the money for it? Why am I ponying up the money for it? I'm a private citizen. You're a private company. That is the central tension and, and contradiction that I think people are so mad at. And that is the A's biggest fall in all of this is that they've never even admitted that that is an option for them to do. Because they could afford it. I mean, Fisher himself is worth $5 billion, You know, like you could find $450 million somewhere in the, uh, in the couch cushions. Or you just attribute it to a rounding error. <laughs> $450 million out of $12 billion is like, that's nothing. Yeah, uh, as, they, as they say in the biz, it is uh, not looking too great for... Uh... For the Oakland A's. It's looking fine for John Fisher. He'll he'll <laughs> net out in the green. Where does he even live? Does he even live in the Bay Area? I'm uh, I would I would assume, but I'm my guess is he's not living in downtown Oakland. He's living in like Marin or Orinda and the real Bay Area heads heads know. <laughs> Get this joke. <laughs> All right, should we uh should we kick over to Alex? Yeah. To provide a little context over the uh the ramblings of you and I. Okay, we are now joined by Alex Coffey, A's beat reporter at The Athletic. Alex, thank you so much for joining us here on the show today. We know you're very busy and you're squeezing us in and we're very appreciative of that. So it's nice to see you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know how much people care about the A's. They're very very much in high demand. So (laughs) my schedule is extremely busy. I'm extremely important. (laughs) Wow, shots already fired towards the Oakland Athletics on this podcast. I mean, it's not like I'm making this up. You can just look at attendance records. <laughs> I love it. The venom, the venom is already flowing. I this is the the first time in this podcast where I am the second most informed person about the A's named Alex. So it's kind of <laughs> nice. I can take a back seat on this one. Yeah, I don't think actually there is another A's beat writer named Alex. So if you had him on, then that might happen again. But We'll have to have a have a convention down the road when we're all allowed to gather in person. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we we wanted to bring you on because obviously there's been a lot that's come out in the last 48 hours. Uh, the A's have formally, informally, basically threatened and said, you know, we've we've released our terms uh, for for building this massive development at Howard Terminal. We've released it to the city council. You have it. It's the ball's in your court now. We're looking at other at relocation options as well. Um, Las Vegas has been floated, right? Places like Portland, places like Nashville, kind of all the usual suspects have been a part of that. Um, but before we dive into that, I kind of want to rewind just a little bit and break down kind of how we got to this point. 
um, at Howard Terminal, right? And how we've really gotten to like this this sticking point where it seems like for weeks, months, years, depending on your interpretation, the the two sides have kind of been at an impasse. And a lot of it really comes down to like, you know, nitty gritty fine print that is completely indecipherable, I think, to a lot of people on the outside. So can you kind of give us a a window into into what this this impasse is that we're at right now? Yeah. um, I mean, I think it's all kind of subject to interpretation. But when I look at it, I think the sticking point is really the financial commitment on um, the taxpayer's part. And it puts the, um, when you're looking at it from a political perspective, it puts the mayor in a really tough spot because she has publicly voiced support for this project. She doesn't want the A's to leave, but context is important. The Warriors have also left under her tenure and so the um, Raiders. Um, So there are political ramifications uh, to this too. Obviously, like, her legacy would be impacted if three pro sports teams left under her watch. But um, but then you look at the term sheet itself, which the A's privately um, privately gave to the city in January, but made public in April. And, you know, it has like these two infrastructure or um, these two tax districts um, that would provide uh, $450 million in revenue. And the A's are calling this like a community benefit because that money would go into things like, you know, like bike lanes and bridges, you know what I mean? Like the, all the construction around the ball, uh, around the ballpark. But, um, but some people feel that calling it a community benefit is a little bit disingenuous um, because it's taxpayer funded. Uh, so I think that that is a major sticking point, like that number. And, um, she put out a statement after they made that document public in April, basically saying that that number was a little like suggesting that that number was a little bit high. Like if you read between the lines, like she was just like the financial commitment seems a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like that. Um, so, you know, it's as much as this situation is a win-win for the A's, I think it is a lose-lose for her because she either, accepts a deal that is very team friendly and that her constituent constituents might get upset at her for accepting or uh, like this pro sports team leaves on her watch. So it's like, yeah, take your poison. Lily Schaff between <laughs> yeah. a rock and a hard place. Wow. Yeah. How unfortunate. <laughs> um, can you kind of take us through the last 48 hours and what has turned the heat up specifically about the last 48 hours? I mean, obviously Jeff Passan writes a piece and everybody starts talking about that piece. But like, why now for, for Passan to write this article and, and what happened um, yesterday that really kicked off this set of events where everybody's kind of talking about this as being something that is maybe a little bit more imminent than we were talking about in April when they made that term sheet public? Um, that's a great question. And I haven't really figured out why now. Um, I asked... Dave Cavill that last night on the phone and he was just like, well, in February, um, the city sent us a letter saying that, um, that the soonest that a ballpark could be built is 2027 and that doesn't work with our timeline. But then you like look at that and the fact that they've like continued this marketing campaign that emphasizes them staying in Oakland. They have this thing called like 510 day because the area code is 510 and they like celebrate being from the Bay Area and Let's go, baby. Let's do it. That's speaking to my demographic right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So like, it's like, why are we doing all this stuff? 
you know, your timeline doesn't really match up if you're like getting upset about this thing that happened in February and all of a sudden pass and comes out with this story. I don't know. Like it's like a lot of time that <laughs> has transpired between those two things. So that was what he said was the February letter that changed things for them. But um, this is something that they've been lo- like, they've been looking into relocating for a long time. So, you know, yeah, well, and they have been in, it seems like, really constant negotiation for a decade and a half at this point, right? Um, at various sites all over Oakland and even potentially more far-flung than Oakland, right? As far down as San Jose. Yeah, um, yeah I... Like, run through the list of all these places that they've looked at um, and how little progress they've made on... Like each individual site. Um, there's a blogger in the Bay Area that like covers this ballpark stuff exclusively, and he like went back and tracked whether they even got an environmental impact report done, or whether they like, you know, like where they got in the process. And a lot of the, like for the majority of them, they didn't even reach like the draft EIR process, which is just like one of the earlier steps. So I feel like that's kind of telling, you know, and the fact that this is like their sixth attempt, like yeah. I don't know. It it makes sense that like the writing is kind of on the wall, right? And like I, not I'm I'm not necessarily one to ever take the point of view of a billionaire, but if you're a billionaire who's like pouring money into this sort of thing, eventually you are you're looking at the city and saying it's time to yeah shit or, shit or get off the pot, right? Like if you want to keep us here, like show us how difficult it is to build any stadium ballpark in California, you know. Like let's yeah. not it's really difficult. So <laughs> why can can you unpack that a little more? Like why that why that is? What what makes California specifically? Not as much. But my understanding is just that it has like these these ballparks and stadiums have to be privately funded, right? And the A's say that their ballpark is privately funded, but you know, one can make the argument that if like all this infrastructure is being paid for by taxpayers, like is it truly privately funded. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that it kind of depends on your perspective, but, um, but I do know for a fact, and this is something that I didn't really report in the story, but money, like how much, I think I did report this part, but like how much money he was losing in this process was something that was brought up like constantly among staff, you know, like they're paying consultants, they're paying like these renderings and stuff that, (laughs) My colleague Mark Curry always says that they should hang them in the um, in the Louvre. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 um, I don't know if I'm botching that name. Uh, he thinks that you could like have an entire art museum full of their <laughs> renderings, <laughs> <laughs> um, which you probably could. Um, but you know, like people, you have to pay for that. And then the architect that they're um, using for this specific waterfront ballpark is like one of the more expensive architects that they could possibly go with. So, you know, it's like, it's not cheap, but yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, so a lot, I, there's a lot of vision there, you know, I can't, I can't fault them there. No, no. This is the price you pay for operating in a world that's like run by Deloitte and like other consulting firms. Or you just have to pay like a premium for all of the stuff, the projects that you're thinking about doing in the future. I want to kind of hone in on, you know, the piece that you wrote most recently, which is, focusing a lot on MLB's role in all of this and Rob Manfred's role specifically in all of this because there's there's these two contrasting lines in Passon's piece where 
you know, in his lead, he says that the A's are exploring the possibility of re- relocating with the blessing of Major League Baseball. And then in Fisher's statement, he says, we'll also follow MLB's direction to explore other markets, which those are like kind of differing ideas depending on your point of view, right? So I'm wondering if you can kind of take us behind the curtain a little bit into maybe this was 10 years ago. Maybe this was the, within this last year of like who was like, it's time to start talking seriously about leaving Oakland let's talk about Las Vegas or let's talk about Portland or whatever city we might end up on. Who got the ball rolling? Who made the first chess move? Well, I think first off in regards to the language, I think it is really important to highlight that. And that was something that I asked Dave on the phone last night. I was like, your statement says that you were instructed to do this. Like, is this an order <laughs> from MLB? <laughs> like, are your hands tied? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, MLB is like really taking the reins with this. And, like they're really initiating all this stuff. And, you know, like that specific word choice instructed. I think that that was what John Fisher said in his statement. What MLB said in their statement is like, it's a very deliberate word choice, you know, like yeah. is to look like in order more than, um, permission. So, um, but as far as like what got the ball rolling, I'm not really sure exactly. I mean, I guess you could say maybe it was like the fact that they saw the writing on the wall with the timeline that it wasn't going to happen before 2027. And then the Coliseum <laughs> lease expires in 2024. So it's like, where are they going to play? You know, they don't want to go back to the Coliseum. So, you know, it's like three years of, um, homelessness, I guess. Like, I don't know where they would go. Um, yeah. But so that's obviously a big issue. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, like in my reporting, basically, it was just like this is a bullet that they had at their disposal. And they just like it was just a matter of when they wanted to use it. And there's been this longstanding offer from Manfred to like kind of put some pressure on the city um, dating back to like their last attempt at Laney College. So I don't remember off the top of my head when they started pursuing the Laney College thing. I think it might have been like 2016 or something. Um, yeah. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been something at their disposal for years now. But um, but I'm not really sure what exactly, you know, why now or what changed. I mean, that's something that I was trying to like look into is, you know, what I, I think I, if I had to guess, I'd say it had, it reflects the nature of the negotiations. Um between the city and the A's, you know, like, I don't know that for sure, but, um, but my guess would be that it like, maybe they've stalled or maybe they've hit an impasse or something like that. Um, so, you know, that would be my guess, but that's just speculating. So. Right. And this is all, this is all in advance of the the city council's summer recess, right? Which Dave, Dave Cavill really would like to get this, this term sheet, term sheet voted on before the the summer recess um <laughs> what no he's <laughs> like it's just funny like the way he's like he's like we're really hopeful and it's super important and it's like just the it's just like a lot of enthusiasm and like excitement and i'm just i like yeah it's a little it's a little much for me sometimes you know there's definitely been this kind of like radiating optimism around that. I mean, you mentioned the the Rooted in Oakland campaign, right? Which has been a huge marketing push um, around their commitment to to Oakland and its and its fans, right? I mean, every single move has been plastered with that, right? Chris Davis, the signing, he was rooted in Oakland, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, the treehouse is 
I probably rooted in Oakland somehow. I don't really know. Um, rooted. <laughs> there, there you go. Rooted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate myself. I... <laughs> You're in too deep now. You're through the looking yeah. glass. <laughs> yeah. I need to go back to bed. Um, yeah. Do, do you think that, do you get a sense that this is, this feels different from other times? Because it's far from the first time that the A's have made a threat to leave Vokram, right? I mean, that has kind of been their MO ever since Lou Wolf was at the helm of the team um, back in the, in the early 2000s. But this one feels a little bit more, I don't know, it feels like there's a little bit more of an edge to it, right? And I think maybe it ha- was because uh, the commissioner's office got involved. But does this feel any more real to you than past threats to leave have? Yeah, I mean... I, this is all a caveat that I haven't been, you know, in this area, like reporting on this thing for the whole, you know, this whole saga. Um, but it does seem more, especially given like MLB's involvement, it does seem more real to me. And, you know, just like reading between the lines, again, this is just speculation on my part, but like, it doesn't really seem like they really want to stay. Like, you know, if you look at their statements, like we got a quote from Cavill last night and it was very like we're trying and we tried and we've invested all this money and all this time and I've spent all these waking hours like on this ballpark project and blah 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 but you know and it's always like it's like we've done all this stuff but you know we have to be realistic like this timeline doesn't work for us this it's just like a massive blame game um and I think the marketing campaign actually plays into that, like in their favor, like they wanted to be rooted in Oakland, but like they have this order from MLB now and the city isn't cooperating. And there's so many people that they can like point their fingers to. Um, that I think what is what feels different to me. Um, you know, they say they're still looking at the ballpark, the waterfront ballpark option. But like when I read these quotes, um, what kind of jumps out to me is like how, like the emphasis on how much they tried as if like it's over they're already setting up their escape route Mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of um if you've ever seen like the producers um have you seen that movie no no um it's like a mel brooks movie and it's basically about this play that's designed to flop and i've been thinking about it a lot lately and i'm just like i wonder you know i don't think i think when they started this project it was like definitely designed to like succeed and stuff but at some point they like probably realized that it was getting too expensive and like, you know, with this timeline and now it's just, it's just a funny thing to think about, you know, like, cause they're not coming out and saying that they're They're like, you know, they're leaving right now, but it definitely feels like, you know, that's where this is headed. Um, again, without knowing like any insider information and any insider information on like where this is going from here, but that's just my guess. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, my final question for you was going to be kind of like if you had to take stock of the direction that you thought this was headed or like the most likely scenario, but it sounds like you think that the most likely scenario is that they will, you know, be forced to leave. But is there, what is the flip side of that coin? I guess, is it just that the city council would vote yes on the proposal that the A's have delivered and and then it would just get done and they might have to accelerate that timeline in order for the A's to have a stadium to play in for three years? Like, yeah, what I it, mean, what like, it? it's a good question. Um, cause I asked them last night or I asked um, Dave last night if, uh, what would happen if they like had to extend their lease on the Coliseum and like 
would, would they consider doing that for like a year or two? And he said that it's owned by this, um, uh, it's run by the Joint Powers Authority, which is like a city and county owned agency. So the A's, A's don't like own the whole Coliseum site. They only own half of it. Um, so I guess it wouldn't be fully their decision, like whether or not they can continue to play there. But I also have a hard time believing that like this group would just like be like, nope, you can't like buy professional sports team. Like you can't. We actually you know, have <laughs> other plans for this massive baseball stadium that's yeah, sitting here yeah. in an empty parking lot. But I think it should also be noted that the A's did miss a rent payment, so they are not the best tenants, you know? Uh, oh, so. no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, maybe they would want them to, maybe they, they would want them to play elsewhere. But um, I support the A's squatting rights in the Coliseum. If they just like <laughs> stick the mats on each corner out there and they just tell them to stay there and just continually take out bats, like they can't kick them yeah, out. They're still playing. That's praxis, man. Withholding rent from your landlord I, well, in an alternate universe. In 2024, and they're definitely not going to be there like up to that point. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, I, I think Alex, did you have anything else? Uh, no, I mean, I you know, I wanted to give the f- the floor to you, Alex. If there was anything you want to um, plug, anything of yours that's coming up, and where people can uh, find find your work and you know musings about the Oakland days and other <laughs> adjacent <laughs> topics. Yeah. Um, if you want like cynical coverage of this team, this is, <laughs> this is the place to get it. Um, yeah. I, I have a, I don't know when this, this is going to come out, but I have a story coming tonight. Uh, what day is it? Wednesday, Wednesday night on um, how like I talked to Dennis Eckersley and he's a Bay area native. And I'm, he was really candid about how he feels about them leaving and stuff. Cause this was kind of like the, like he said, it was like the happiest he's ever been like playing in Oakland and stuff and growing up there. Um, so I guess that would be what I'm going to plug. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think we've covered a lot. Um, sorry that I can't predict the future and I don't know what's going to happen next, but hopefully at some point we get some, inside maybe via another passing bomb or something. Yeah, well, I think we couch pretty much everything we say on this podcast with I don't have any insider information, what? but to <laughs> 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 so write it home here. Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much, Alex. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You yourself because everyone knows Thank you to Alex Coffey um, for providing some some real life context to just all of our theorizing about what different people want to get out of the Oakland Athletics, and uh, uh, and a dose of realism. No yeah. sugarcoating here on tipping pitches either. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, go find her work in the Athletic. Um, it's very important if you care about this story or if you care about the A's on the field. Either one. Uh, all right, let's do a couple of voicemails and then let's get out of here. Uh, before we before we actually play a couple of voicemails, I wanted to say we got a follow up email about a voicemail that we answered. Um, you'll remember, Alex, it was the voicemail that we played from Adam, who just coincidentally happens to be an Oakland native who was at a Mayday march in San Francisco. Uh, and Adam asked us what are ways that the MLBPA could show solidarity with like actual like other working class people, other unions, et cetera, et cetera. And we got an email from Peter 
who said that he was also at this May Day rally. You're a real Tipping Pitches listeners out there at the May Day rallies. You love to hear it. Um, Peter mentioned that a way that the MLBPA could show some real solidarity within the baseball community would be to continue and voice support or voice more support for the unionized workers who work at stadiums. Um, some of like the custodial staff and concession workers and ushers, et cetera, et cetera, are unionized in a lot of stadiums and are, you know, treated with the same disdain for labor that the players are by the owners. So I wanted to shout out that email because I thought it was a really smart um, thing to point out and a, a pretty big oversight by us. Yeah, I agree. That's why tipping pitches is the, is the podcast of the people, right? That's why we, that's why we opened up uh, this, this voicemail line is because uh, we are f- far from being smart enough to pretend like we can talk with authority on every thing, single subject. So, so thank you to both Adam and Peter for that. Indeed. Um, you know, we did w- open up this voicemail line uh, that anyone could call in and share whatever's on their mind for the week uh, in open season. I will say the voicemail cuts you off at three minutes. I feel like we maybe have not been explicit enough about that. Uh, more than one person has been cut off in the last week. Um, going longer than three minutes on the voicemail. So you got you got to sneak it in within three minutes. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard on the back end for us. Just three minutes is the time cut off. I feel like that's pretty long. If you're a listener, we love you for calling in. Thank you so much. Three minutes is the time limit. That being said, let's play a one minute and 22 second voicemail. Hattie, this is uh, not about an owner, but this is about language politics in uh, in the game of baseball generally. So I'm watching the uh, Mets Cardinals game right now, and um, Kwang Hyun Kim was on the on the mound for the Cardinals, and uh, an interpreter went out um, because there was like a little infield gather at the mound. You know how they like talk about like their Applebee's order and stuff on the mound. So the interpreter goes out, meets the infielders. Apparently, that's against the rules, and an interpreter can't go on the field unless accompanied by a coach which means it counts as a mound visit. And so once you send the coach out, then the pitcher is in trouble of getting yanked because they put in two mound visits. So basically what happens here is MLB has codified that pitchers don't get to be part of the little infield powwows that happen if they don't speak um, fluent English. The more just rule would be to allow interpreters on the field so that pitchers can participate in important conversations like these but because the MLB is afraid of, like, interpreters ferrying secret messages or whatever, I don't know, um, they count as a mountain visit. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, Kim shouldn't have been or shouldn't be charged for a mountain visit um, so we can have an interpreter so we can check in with his teammates. It makes me mad. Goodbye. Yeah, I think that this rule will be changed, hopefully, if I'm to take an optimistic view. I think that this just seems like an oversight on MLB's part, but it's an oversight that happens because of MLB's hegemonic worldview about the game of baseball. You know what I mean? Like they, you and I have discussed on this show a lot, Alex, about the, the stated normal in baseball being like white guys from America who speak English only and everybody else having to kind of warp themselves around that. And this is such a stark example of that. I was watching that game too, obviously it being a Mets game and it was just confounding that like they couldn't even overrule that on the field. They were like, nope, sorry, that that's a mound visit. And I think that I think that this listener is right to to point out that this codifies a, a very exclusionary view 
on the game of baseball for no reason too, right? Because like this mound visit rule was not because they were worried about the the coaches passing on too much secret information either. I know the listener was being sarcastic by saying that, but the mound visit rule is a pace of play thing. If you're worried about the interpreter coming out and like slowing the game down too much, I really, I really don't think that's going to be a problem. It's going to be so few and far between that it's not going to really screw over Rob Manfred's world dominating pace of play plan. Yeah, agreed. Also, this is irrelevant to this conversation, but I just want to say the uh, watching it all unfold in in real time was like just like what having to watch everyone on the field try and parse through this rule in real time was both cathartic and also just I. <laughs> infuriating (laughs) like infuriating to watch to watch them go to replay review call new york basically and say what do we what do we do when they don't know what to do they just go to replay review like they don't actually even talk to each other anymore about what the rule might be they're just like let's go to the headsets let's just ask them that's what they're there for right someone's on retainer for this someone's getting paid for this might as well be might as well use it uh okay next voicemail yes Hey, Alex and Bobby, Ashton here. I uh, just left you a voicemail and got cut off because I was talking too long. So we're going to try this again and make it much, much quicker. I'm a fan of the Atlanta Braves. Super exciting and also really complicated. All-star game. Just, just bad, right? Uh, the Braves statement is they're sad about the fans and businesses. Who cares about fans and businesses? How about we care about voting rights? That sucks. Ronald. Super exciting. Ozzy, super exciting. Does it make me feel weird that they're like historically underpaid and Ronald's got to look at that Tatis contract? Yeah, it's brutal. Liberty Media, owned by a corporation. Right now, stock is up $20 uh, since the beginning of COVID. Um, and we shine Shane Green to a $1.1 million contract. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, stadium, totally sucks. Horrible location. I tried to go to game five of the NLDS, and Fultonevich lit himself on fire. Took me 90 minutes to go uh, about six miles, missed the first inning, and then that game was over. Uh, our commentating team totally sucks. You know, if you think Tom Glavin, a historic lefty, would be a great person to talk about Max Freed, and, you know, they ask about Max Freed, but, you know, obviously didn't want to give up that home run or obviously wants to throw strikes tonight. That's tough. Um, you know, the Braves logo, tough. Uh, the Tomahawk chop, tough. Um, also, people, there's a statue of Bobby Cox outside the stadium. One, my hot take, kind of melting very hot. Not a great manager. No, the guy liked him. You know, one title in 14 years. That's brutal. Also, domestic violence. So, help me, guys. My team is owned by a corporation. Ashton, hello. Thank you for calling. Uh, you know, when we originally conceived of this segment, open season here, this was kind of exactly why, you know? Call in, complain about your owners, complain about how your team is screwing you. And it appears as though our friend Ashton has assembled what some might call a laundry list, Alex. Yeah, I think we sh- maybe we rename the segment to Help Me My Team is Owned by a Corporation. That's pretty good. That is pretty yeah. good. That's like the name of a of a weekly column in a in a newspaper that we could write too. These yeah. are I mean, free ideas we're giving out to people, but you know, neither of us have time for it, so run with it. That's all of this podcast. It's just free ideas that we're giving out to people. <laughs> we're we're driving the media conversation in the baseball world. Uh no stone left unturned here. I agree with everything the Nashton said. All of those things are a gigantic problem, but listen, you can't control who you're a fan of all the time. 
if you're from here or if you happen to adopt this team for whatever reason. Look, there's a lot to like about the Braves. Um, and I'm saying that wearing a Mets hat and being a Mets fan who despises the fucking Braves. But there's a lot to like about them. They have a lot of really electric young players. Uh, some bad news recently about Mike Soroka, who's who just had a little setback in his recovery from a torn Achilles. But you know they they took the Dodgers to the brink in the NLCS last year. I think that's a recipe for for exciting baseball to watch over the next couple of years. And as long as you're like thinking actively, and I know I say this all the time. Every time, anytime someone calls about like a complaint that they have about their team, but as long as you're like thinking actively and putting pressure on the team where you can. You just kind of have to like shrug and leave the rest of the stuff that's out of your control out of your control. And, you know, you didn't put ink to paper on Acuna and Albi's extensions. And you can listen to us talk about how underpaid they are. And you can talk with your fellow fans about how underpaid they are. But I don't think it should make you feel any less excited about the positive things that you can reach down deep and find about the team. That would be my advice. Alex isn't dumping the A's this weekend because of the previous 50 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> not yet, at least. I don't know. Well, you might not have a choice. They might dump you, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Are you going to root exactly. for the uh, Las Vegas Athletics brought to you by DraftKings? I was thinking about that today. Probably not, right? Like, if they move, that's, you know, that's it. I'm not going to be the ex who's still sending you texts saying, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Like, no, it's over. We're done. Alex said, excommunicate all of your exes from your life. <laughs> I love that for you. Any other advice for Ashton? Braves fan? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Buy Liberty Media stock, I guess. It's up $20. Man, that's a, uh, wow. Seems like a coup, right? Shouldn't we all do that? If we, if we all buy Liberty Media stock, does that mean they will then redirect that money into the team and like sign Ozzy Albies to uh, <laughs> an above market contract? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. We'll have to ask them if they would do that. What do you think they would say? Well, as loyal shareholders, I would think they would at least listen to us. Right. Sure. Hear, hear us out. Exactly. Do right by us. So you, as, as one could say. Uh, final voicemail this week. Hey, guys. This is Matthew. Um, so I have a quick rules proposal for you, um, which is that the batter, um, basically when the batter puts the ball in play, if the bases are empty, that they should be able to take off in, um, in whatever direction they want. So if they want to run to third base, they can run to third base. Um, and if they make it there, then the next batter has to um, do that too until the bases are empty. Um, there's a bunch of reasons why I think this is good and interesting. Um, but the first time I tried to record this, I got cut off by the voicemail. So um, basically wondering if you guys think this rule is, um, one, if it's good, and two, if you don't think it's good, do you still think it would be Interesting to see it in in the in the game um, because I can't stop thinking about this rule. Anyway, um, love the pod. Uh, keep fighting a good fight for minor leaguers, and uh, I'll take my answer off the air. Bye. First things first, I want to say I love when callers who are leaving a voicemail act like they're doing live sports radio calls. I just want everybody who does that to know that you're seen. I hear you. I value that. And as someone who spent a lot of time listening to Mike Francesa. It's not going over my head. Second of all, uh, this rule can't happen to Major League Baseball, but I would love to see it. Like, if we did it for one day a year, I would absolutely love to watch it because you could really fake someone out about which base you're going to run to. Like, if you don't have to tell them in advance, muscle memory, Vlad Guerrero Jr. just fields a ball and all he has to do is step on third, maybe, 
and he accidentally throws it to first base, and then you run to third base. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, new I'm, element of strategy. I, I'm curious about the. I'm not going to be the asshole who like you know comes in and asks about all the details of this hypothetical bonkers rule on our already bonkers baseball podcast. But like you know, is there a? Do you have to commit to a direction? You know, like if you if you step out of the batter's box down the third base line, right? Exactly. If you see that the ball's going to get there before you, can you go around and run to the other base? (laughs) Well, that would make forces moot, though, because then you could never force them out if you can always change your mind until you get to the base. So I feel like once you go in one direction, you have to continue going in that direction for this rule to make any Mm -hmm. sense and for it to not completely ruin the baseball time continuum. It's just like would. Oh God, would be a nightmare if you were an infielder. Just an absolute nightmare. Unfortunately, like, tr- the way that it would play out is if you were a righty, you would run a third, and if you were a lefty, you'd run a first. That's just how it would be. Because, like, analytically speaking, you're shaving off a whole like 0.2 seconds of home to whatever base if you just go on the side that you're. But then also, if you hit it to that side, you wouldn't want to run to that side because it's an easier put out. You'd want to run to the side of the longer throw. There's some good, interesting strategy here from Matthew. Yeah, well, and the proliferation of the shift changes things dramatically, right? Nobody's all of a standing sudden, on third. All of a sudden, right, exactly. If you've lined a ball to right center field that happens to go straight to the second baseman because the second baseman is playing right center field for whatever reason, you just run to third. then you just, you just run to third instead because the third baseman was over at second. I don't I don't know. This baseball is weird enough as it is. So, like, does it need an even weirder rule? Yes. Just double down. Absolutely. Double down on the weirdness. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, that's going to do it for this week of Tipping Pitches. Uh, we'll be off until next Monday, the 24th. Thank you for listening. Um, while we're still here, a reminder that our storefront is live um, where you can buy your very own unionized the minor shirt or you can buy the shirt that alex is wearing right now that you guys can't see where it says steel basis not wages uh perhaps we should put out a, a derivation of that shirt that says steel bases not franchises and put a picture <laughs> of john fisher on the front um sing you can find our storefront at tiny.cc backslash nationalize or you can find it you know maybe in the link to the podcast here or on our twitter you guys know where to find it you guys know how you guys know how to get there, and the promo code is Arod, capital A R O D, fifteen percent off of our merch. So official that we get to say that now, Alex. I'm so glad that you became both a certified accountant and you got your master's degree in real estate development in the last two mm-hmm. weeks. That's been a huge development for the podcast. Yeah, I can actually speak from personal uh, experience. Right, having gone like read beyond the intro wikipedia graph that basically qualifies me right if you click down into the sections you then you you know you're a real one yeah exactly nobody does that anymore everybody's attention span is too short um but not too short to listen to tipping pitches if you're still listening this late in the podcast thank you so much we always appreciate it and we'll talk to you soon Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!